0: Welcome to Meet the Filmmakers at the Apple Store, Reading Street in London. Please welcome our guest moderator, Chris Hewitt. Hello. Thank you so much for that, thank you so much for coming. Uh, Paddington, based on the beloved stories by Michael Bond, is a wonderfully warm, whimsical, very, very funny tale of a young bear who comes to London looking for a home and all the marmalade he can eat. Before we meet the filmmakers behind the film, let's take a look at the trailer.
1: There's some sort of bear over there. Probably selling something.
2: Hello, there,
1: Mary. Hello.
2: This young bear needs our help, Henry. What are you going to do now?
1: Probably just sleep over there in that bin. That's the spirit.
2: It's just one night.
1: Do bears even have names? My name is... (coughs) Right. You try it. (coughs) Mr. Brown, that is extremely rude.
2: Perhaps you'd like an English name?
1: An English name?
2: Paddington! Paddington? Paddington.
1: Paddington!
2: Sorry. I like it.
1: (laughs) He's going in the attic and I want you all to lock your doors. You all right? All good. That bear (laughs) is a danger to this family.
2: Awesome.
1: Tomorrow, that bear is out of here. This is Paddington. He's a bear. I can see
0: that. That creature means a great deal to me. Is he endangered? He is now. The furry menace is home alone. I'm going to
2: stuff you, bear. I beg your pardon. Paddington's the best thing that's ever happened to the children. Hot wind. Two hot winds. I don't like it. Well, I hope I don't look weird.
1: It doesn't matter that he's a different species or that he has a worrying marmalade habit. Paddington's family.
2: Paddington, coming. What this family needed was our pinch of chaos. ah! Uh-huh.
1: It's actually quite
0: good fun. Ah. Uh. 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 Please welcome the writer-director of Paddington, Paul King, and the star of Paddington, Hugh Bonifield. Jens, welcome. How are you? Very well, thank you. Good, good, good. The movie opens today. So uh, it, when, when, uh, when Raiders of the Lost Ark opened, uh, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg took themselves away to a beach to avoid opening weekend. Clearly, you haven't done that. <laughs> we came to the Apple Store. so you, know, <laughs> you came to the Apple Store. Maybe
2: they were already slightly further advanced in their careers than I am in mine. But um, I think Spielberg now does his mix from the yacht. Oh, really? Which is an amazing okay. thing. He has a hookup. That's probably
0: oh, very secret material. You've got a canoe, haven't you?
2: Yeah, <laughs> I've got a bath.
0: <laughs> so have you popped into cinemas today to see how people are reacting to the film? No, I, I can't think of anything more terrifying <laughs> <laughs> but,
2: uh, than going to an Odeon for an 11 o'clock, you know, four people. <laughs> but uh, no, but I hope, hope, hope people like it.
0: Oh, they will, they will. Uh, so let's go back to the very, very beginning. So did you grow up? with Paddington, both of you, did you grow up in, in a way with these, with these books and with this, uh, this character? I did, yes,
1: very much so. He was part of my, he was in the fabric of my childhood. The very first book I remember, uh, looking at the pictures while mum and dad you know, read the stories to me and then he was part of my, uh, f- the first reading that I was able to do for myself. So it was very important, yeah.
2: Yeah, well I, I sort of knew the, the stop frame animations was what I encountered mm. first, which were really beautiful and really stayed with me and funny and sweet. And then I discovered the books later Mm-hmm. Um, but the character really stayed with me much more than other things from that time, I think. So, uh, yeah, it was good. It was great when I heard they were making the film or that David, uh, David Heyman, our producer, had got the rights to make the film because yeah. it felt like Paddington's, I don't know, somehow uh, as a character, he's got some sort of depth and a bit of story and a bit more kind of uh, scale to his narrative than some of those mm-hmm. sort of beloved children's. Icons. So I sort of thought, oh, there, I could see how there could be a film in there in a way that there might not be in some other things.
0: So uh, you pursued it, and this is what, five years ago when you first became involved with the film?
2: Yeah, I think it's nearly six, nearly six. now, which is too long to make a film. But it just <laughs> takes, it takes a long time to get the script right. And <clears throat> one of the things that David said, because he'd made all the Harry Potter films in Gravity and has no real career pressure, I think. <laughs> I think he's pretty much fine. And uh, and so sort of he, on day one, just sort of said, well, we'll write a script, and if it's right, then we'll try to make the film. But there was, n- there was no sort of sense of an end product that had to be got to a market by a certain amount of time. Yeah. There was just no pressure to do that. So in a way, the work exp- expands to fill the time available. But also, you are sort of trying to do something with a character that people hold dear from their childhoods and sort of have strong feelings about, and that we really wanted to do something good with and we wanted Michael Bond who wrote the books to be proud of and we wanted to get the right cast and we took our time and it was a great lesson in uh, how to make a film.
0: Absolutely and uh, speaking of the right cast, Mr Bonneville here. You play Mr Brown. Can you tell us about Mr Brown? And, uh, who uh, is he? Well,
1: Mr Brown is uh, what can only be described as risk averse. Uh, when we first <laughs> meet him he's, his role in life is, uh, I think in the original stories he's described as someone who works in the city but it's not actually specified so Paul uh, <clears throat> had come up with this idea of him being very very risk-averse and, and, in fact, reluctant to look after this bear contrary to the label that's around Paddington's neck. And uh, so, th- so, in a way, he's, he goes on a quite a big journey uh, in character terms, uh, which isn't there in the sto- original story. The, in the original story, the Browns just accept the bear very willingly, whereas in terms of a sort of 90-minute feature, you want to have a bit more of a, an arc. So he goes from being, not, if not curmudgeonly, then certainly cautious and sceptical to... Uh, to a bit of a... He releases his inner bear
0: by the end. <laughs> <laughs> no spoilers, but yeah, that's, that's what happens. Uh, how did you become involved, and at what point did you become involved? It was about two years ago, I think. It was a spring...
1: No, well, no. About two... About roughly two years okay. ago. And uh, it, was all, it all looked doom and gloom because I, I was involved in Downton Abbey, and I think you were quite ready to get... You'd been waiting four years by that stage yeah. and wanted to get on with it. But uh, there was a sort of nice compromise in the end. You went and shot in Costa Rica, and then Things paused for a while until until
0: I finished Downton, and then we were able to to kick off. Oh well, wow, fantastic. So so was it uh, the role itself that appealed, or was it the fact that it was Paddington, that you know this thing that you grew well, up with? Well, I
1: think with? I think I think three elements. You know, the, the, the name Paddington, the, the name David Heyman, and then Paul's script. They all sort of converged. And then I remember sitting outside David's office the first time we met, and I realised that the real Paddington Bear was sitting next to me. <laughs>
2: You're so bored of that comment. I, aren't I just you? I the I can only interpret it as a comment about my weight. <laughs> we have nothing else in common. No,
1: I defy that because and this is a sort of note for all film directors, you know, fil- on any film set there are a 100 catastrophes every day just lurking around the corner and and they faced us and Paul in particular on this project and each time he was able to reset the dial to positive
2: just like Paddington does and that's a rare and enviable quality or cause an endless
0: series of catastrophes <laughs> is it uh, difficult to keep your head when catastrophes are happening on set how do you how do you manage it
2: um uh, I, I don't <laughs> you just it's, panic and it's, freak just out. Gr- it's every it's a very odd very stressful experience because you've got this big sort of machine to make a big film with a a, a very large budget by anything i'm used to Mm -hmm. and uh but certain it's like being on a clock it's like an episode of 24 you know every (laughs) hour there are four or five things that you just have to hit otherwise the bomb's going to go off and you're not going to complete the day and the scene's not going to be the thing and and so it is it's relentlessly stressful but uh we just about managed to get through it and then the bits that i'd messed up Fortunately, the very generous people at Studio Canal let me film some extra bits at the end to make up for my incompetence the first time around.
0: (laughs) So um, I've heard this comparison, you and Paddington, before, not just from you, but uh, I don't see a red hat a blue velvet coat, or a predilection for marmalade, unless you mm-hmm. do have one of your Very, very hairy. <laughs> very, very hairy. Uh, can you, can you yourself comment on this? Do you see where this is coming from? Where why people compare you to, to, a, to a bear? That's I, three I by six really is just think tall? It, it's just food. It's just, a, yeah. it's <laughs> food related. If there's a
2: plate of sandwiches, I, 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 mother didn't raise a lever, so I, I have to, I have to clean it. It's terrible. If we, if I'm ever in a, like having dinner with my wife, even at home and there's stuff left on plane. <laughs> I literally can't help myself, even cold chips. So I think it's really sort of just compulsive eating. But you know, uh, I hope I've got some of his finer qualities too. Yeah. But I can't
0: think what well, they might be. Hugh, <laughs> I <laughs> want to dig into this a little, little bit deeper now. <laughs> so yeah, let's go right uh, into let's do it. it. Po- forget the pause here. What's Paddington ask about him?
1: Uh, well, apart from the, as I say, resetting the dial to positive whenever <coughs> catastrophe is around the corner, <coughs> Also, his way of uh, dealing with uh, things that aren't going well. I remember, in fact, that bathtub coming down the stairs, which many people might think is CGI, is actually real. (laughs) And I remember, Paul, it it took weeks, didn't it, to get that effect right? And he would develop the hard stare, which Paddington is well known for, with the effects team who were building that uh, water tank, getting it ready for the big gush. And each time he'd come back and, with this sort of slightly furrowed brown and said, they haven't got it right yet, and I'm trying to get cross. <laughs> and I'm going to have to get cross, and it doesn't suit me. But we got there in the end. We did. Did we he not was? recruit
0: you, Yama? Do you have a hard stare? I've been practicing it. That yeah. was a
1: weird thing actually in the movie because. He's got a cuddly stare and that's <laughs> it. No, but when there's a little bit in the film where Paddington does reveal to me his hard stare, and of course the bear wasn't there on that day, <laughs> and so Paul did it instead. And uh, so, uh, so seeing it for real when the bear finally showed me on the screen was quite revealing. It was actually it was very like Paul doing it.
0: Oh, really? I can't imagine you, Paul, having a hard stare.
2: No. And you're not ever <laughs> going to be able to imagine that. <laughs> I was trying to stop you to that. I know, there, but, but you so are pointing. Yeah. the subliminal work there. was extraordinary. <laughs>
0: okay, yeah. um, Just going back to the, the, the story of the film, but how closely does it cleave to the books? Pretty, I mean, pretty well, I think, given the
2: books are, after the first four or five chapters, essentially a series of short stories. So while we sort of cheerfully raid them, there's not, like long, movie-sized narratives in there. But what we use is the first four or five chapters. I'm going to get my numbers wrong here now, but which really, um, we meet Paddington at Paddington Station. There's the scene in the tea room the Browns take him home in a taxi. Uh, he goes and has a bath. He goes on the underground the next day, and they're sort of probably the most sort of famous Paddington set pieces. Certainly, they're the ones I remembered from the animations, and it's the mm. it's the only real bit of continuous narrative in the books. And then there's a kind of sentence at the start of the fifth chapter, which says words to the effect of. Uh, within a few weeks Paddington was quite at home in the Brown household and I thought oh well there's space there for a for a story because he started this sort of slightly scruffy urchiny, uh you know wild animal that's been invited into a household who are very kind to him but a sort of a little reluctant and a little sort of uh taken aback by who he is and and I thought oh well how do you go from outsider to insider and For me, I was thinking about one of my all-time favorite films, The Kid, the Charlie Chaplin film, and how he is such a great character, well, both are great characters, but Charlie Chaplin's character is this kind of, is the little tramp who finds an orphan baby, and absolutely doesn't want to take him in, thinks about putting him down the drain, tries to palm him off on anyone else. It's really funny and silly and then slowly by the end of the film he's totally fallen in love with this character and you just can't watch that film without laughing a lot and bursting into tears or at least I can't and I thought well there's a great <laughs> journey there for, for Hugh's character and I knew Hugh's work not just Downton but all of his comedy work which is so utterly brilliant. And I thought uh, he's become very famous for the non-comedy work, but it'd be lovely to see a role where you could combine all the different aspects of your character and of of your skill set. And we really built the journey of the film around Hugh because Paddington's, he's sort of a character who changes, but he's also sort of an innocent. He's not a kind of, he's not going on a great big Hollywood journey. He's really a character who changes the people around him. He's much more that sort of a figure.
0: Fantastic. Uh, we do have a clip now. It's the, uh, as you mentioned, a scene at Paddington where the Browns meet Paddington for the first time. Let's take a look.
2: Can you all just go away,
1: please? I need to look presentable. I'm sorry you all feel like that, but it was my week to choose, and personally, I enjoyed the Victorian wool experience. Well, at
2: least we spent some time together as a family.
1: And we certainly learned a lot about wool.
2: Did you have fun, Pumpkin? It's Judy, and it was fine until you jumped in the lake. It's a Victorian (laughs) bathing pond, darling. It's what you're supposed to do. Not naked. Well,
1: forgot my costume. Jonathan, don't jump like that. 7% of childhood accidents start with jumping. But if I'm going to be an astronaut? Well, you're not going to be an astronaut. You can be whatever you want, Peanut. Oh, stranger danger. What? Keep your eyes down. There's some sort of bear over there, probably what? selling something. Good evening. No, thank you. Oh dear. Mm. Must be doing something wrong. Hello there. Mary. Oh, hello coming down in stair-rods,
0: isn't it? Uh, yes. Mama!
2: Uh, I hope you don't mind me asking, but shouldn't you be at home?
1: Oh, yes, I should. But I haven't quite worked out how to find one.
2: Well, where are your parents?
1: Oh, they died when I was small. Here we go. All I have left is my aunt. And where's she? Darkest Peru in the home for retired bears. Yeah, of course she is. How did
2: you get here?
1: I stowed away in a lifeboat. Cool. And ate marmalade. Did you know bears like marmalade?
2: I didn't even know bears could talk.
1: Oh Well, I'm a very rare bear. There aren't many of us left.
2: What are you going to do now?
1: Well, I thought I would probably just sleep over there in that bin. That's the spirit. Anyway. Dad! Why don't we find you some help? Oh, yes, please. If you're sure it's no trouble.
2: Of course it isn't. Is it, darling?
0: Not at all. (laughs) Paul, what would you have done if Paddington Station had said no? Uh, I guess Marylebone was always the backup. (laughs) Um, It would have
2: been awful. I I don't know. And there was a terrible thing. One of the great... We we wanted to wait for Hugh because I've expressed my love to him publicly now. Um, And... um, uh, I think the, the nation will agree, hopefully. Um, but um, Paddington are having some painting work done, and they were going to cover the whole thing in scaffolding. And while that is quite London, we're all used to kind of rail terminuses covered in scaffolding, it wouldn't have quite suited the sort of storybook heightened sense. So there was a thing of hues availability and the scaffolding <laughs> coming in. And about every week we had updates. But fortunately, Network Rail are... Delayed (laughs) endlessly. (laughs) So, and they tried incredibly hard to fit us in. That was a mean crack about people who were very, very helpful actually. (laughs) And they diverted about three quarters of the trains in Britain to let us film on this this platform and and worked incredibly hard. And it took a year to plan. It's just all very complicated. But I do think Paddington opens doors. Like people wanted to help because it was Paddington, you know, Mm. And, and I suppose the station, especially because it's, you know, something that's dear to their hearts. But there's no. They just don't, they don't let you just do this sort of thing. Mm. You know, David, who made Harry Potter, was filming at King's Cross and they never let him have cranes in there and closed platforms and do all this sort of thing. And you go, well, Harry Potter's a big project. It was yeah. done out of the goodness of their hearts and it's a really lovely thing that the character brings out people's helpful, charming side.
0: And Hugh, was that a special moment then, filming that scene? That at, was at several, several
1: nights, wasn't it, yeah. as I remember. And I think on each occasion we had a half-hour window where they literally would have closed one platform, the platform that you see there. Uh, but otherwise, it was a working station. So it's a miracle of uh, sound dubbing and uh, uh, clever camera angles to make it look like it was a fairly calm station and there weren't
0: trains coming in and out all the time. I love that uh, Mr. Brown's first reaction to Paddington is not, oh, it's a bear, it's a talking bear, it's stranger danger. <laughs> He's a, it's a very modern Londoner, isn't he? An
2: immediate fear that he's going to be sold something, which is London's greatest fear. Walking to, what does that person want? that God, no, I I haven't got any. Sorry, I've um, no, I left my wallet at home. That seems to me the spirit of contemporary London.
1: That's right, and also there's another scene a little later when uh, Paddington first goes on the tube, and Mr. Brown warns him that on every platform there are pickpockets, uh, thieves, murderers, thieves, thieves murderers, and pickpockets. Um, which is a gross gross exaggeration obviously uh, (laughs) speaking on behalf of tourist London uh, visit (laughs) visit London there are some pickpockets (laughs) that's it Uh, yeah so no he's he's very he's very cautious as I say but
0: um, luckily others in the film have a a more open heart early Mm. on Absolutely. we we don't have a clip of this but uh, if you haven't seen the film at one point Hugh wears a dress (laughs) he uh, dons drag uh, at one point we won't say why but what was that experience like for you well, as Mr. Brown says, it's quite liberating, actually. <laughs> I, yeah. I like
1: the
2: way that not saying why is the, the spoiler <laughs> <Yeah. thing. laughs> I'll tell you what happens. I just won't explain the plot that leads up to it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very, very
1: good point. But yeah. But uh, it's a, no, it was not... It's, and anyway, it's more of a house coat rather than a dress. <laughs> At one point, it was a big floral dress. Do you remember? Uh, uh, Lindy Hemming, who's our brilliant costume designer, had come up with a, a wonderful sort of bow Peep look for me for this particular section of the <laughs> film, which I didn't think it was quite appropriate so we, we whittled it down and... and it's
2: uh, a bit more tabardy, isn't yes, it? Yes, it's more of a, more of a, a cleaning lady's tabard and cardy. And, and it's a very he, fetching look. Hugh is entirely method at this moment. Most of the costume, he didn't really seem to care that much about what he wore, but for this particular scene, there was a good two or three hours of prep. <laughs> and every single element had to, be, had to be justified from what was on the cleaning trolley that we, that we had. So uh,
1: Yeah, I was adamant, because at one point, Lindy said, what about these high heels? They'd look funny. And I said, I don't believe a cleaner would have left high heels on the trolley. A pair of Crocs, maybe. So, so we developed this. And also, even down to the, yes, the eye shadow is, uh, is uh, I made the uh, props department go out and get some uh, floor polish so that uh, there was a top shot which actually was cut of yeah. showing all these materials in the, in the cleaner's trolley. So my gorgeous brown eye shadow is meant to be floor polish.
0: And your, your voluptuous chest is? Uh... Two floor mops, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, not to give too much away, because I think I've given the end of the movie away. I might as well at some point. But uh, in that scene, you have a, a Welsh accent. Where did that come from? <laughs> well,
1: Paul had written this very funny scene for myself and Simon Farnaby. Uh, and I couldn't... I, it just, I don't know. We were just improvising around it mucking about with it. And, and uh, I was, we were discussing how good an actor would Mr Brown be. You know, how convincing. And, and maybe he had a COD character that he'd done at Christmas parties, you know, playing charades or something. So out popped Mavanwy with her uh, <laughs> rather sort of stretched Welsh
2: tones. I really hope this is based on an old teacher or something that was going to be. <laughs> I, don't know,
1: I, can't, I don't know where it came from. I don't know where it came well, from. Wales? <laughs> Roughly. A lot of Welsh people would
0: disagree. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have another clip now. This is another uh, scene set at Paddington uh, and involves Mr. Brown talking to Paddington in the tea room. Let's take a look.
1: Oh, yes, that is good. Um... What's your name? Hmm? Do bears even have names? Hmm. Of course we do. My name is... Beg your pardon?
0: Oh. Right. Well, go on. Hmm? You try it. Hmm. Look at the fruit.
1: Mr. Brown, that is extremely rude. Oh, at last. Oh, uh, wait for me. Is someone coming to get him? Mm.
2: Everyone's gone for the night. They'll just have to come home with us. No way. Dad!
1: Jonathan, stay where you are.
2: He's so embarrassing. We can't just leave him here. Of course
1: we can. He's not our responsibility.
0: (coughs) This young bear needs our help, Henry. It's just one night. Until we can find the right people to look after him. (laughs) Hugh, um, when the late, great Bob Hoskins was making Who Framed Roger Rabbit, uh, it was a very different technique back then, of course, I guess, but uh, he used to complain that he went home on the weekends and started hallucinating. He started seeing weasels and rabbits everywhere he went. Did you take Paddington home with you, literally, at times?
1: (laughs) Uh, No, but no, I was was lucky enough not to have to do that, but... uh, we, it, was, it was quite strange, but it, it's a strange thing to say, really, that he did become rather real to all of us because we had seen three dimensional references. Each time a shot was completed, the digital effects team would come in with this furry head and, and, and capture the image and the lighting angles and everything else. Um, and also, like in that scene particularly, we had uh, Gus Brown providing a, a sort of vocal reference uh, off, off camera and also Javier Marzan who did uh, who sort of with with Paul particularly I mean they did it separately but but to improvise the sort of scrapes that padding gets into, okay. so he'd be squashed into the chair opposite <laughs> me. <laughs> so you never had that eyeline problem where you're looking here and Paddington well, there? Well, also we had a stick that was the yeah. right height and we had Lauren who would wear Paddington's hat and walk through shots with us. So we had a combination of methods of, of, of making the bear as real as possible, even though it wasn't there at all. <laughs> um, I actually wanted to do you mind if I interrupt? I want to ask you something. The The inspiration for the tea room, I mean that tea room isn't at Paddington Station, it's a completely sort of invented one, but was that sort of brief encounter-ish and
2: that yeah, I think that's what what buffets uh, legally have to look like. Otherwise, the <laughs> BBFC would probably ban the film, I would imagine, <laughs> if that was... I, I don't know. It's described as a buffet in the book, and you don't really sort of have buffets anymore. But I suppose we were trying to make a London that felt... The books are always sort of set in the year they're written, but there's a sort of timeless, sort of slight old-fashionedness about it. And I suppose I thought that just having it in a Starbucks or something would be, I don't know, a bit... I don't. I just wouldn't feel right. It didn't feel like the sort of London we wanted to set the film in. So we we made a lovely tea room.
0: So you spent five years on it. You went through many iterations of the script. Did, uh, at any point, did you set it in the 50s or 60s, in the in the, in the, in the era when it was first created? <coughs> no,
2: no. I I think we were different. We were different sort of levels of timelessness. I suppose at one, we sort of. Um, I sort of started out wanting to be quite rigid and really wanting it to be able to be, like, appear to be contemporary, but everything in it be completely believable for audiences who'd read it in 1958. uh, so, because there's so much retro, you know, sort of people half the people you see in London look like they're from the 50s anyway, and sort of so, it, you know, all the sort of Kath Kidston stuff, I suppose, and the kind of, you know the kind of hipster facial hair styling, and stuff, so it's quite a 50s-y retro time we're living in so it sort of felt like that'd be possible, but then uh, it, I felt like I just wanted to open it up a bit and be able to have some tower blocks and some, mm. you know, just sort of I sort of started falling in love with other bits and pieces and really wanted to have Trelik Tower in it, for example, and, yeah. and, and, um, uh, and it just ended up a little bit more heightened storybook London. I suppose I was looking at that book, that um, I'm going to get his name wrong, uh, but the Hungarian artist who wrote This Is London, you know, that, that sort of book which is sort of Victorian but sort of 50s and sort of contemporary and it felt like, oh, I think, I think London's quite robust and quite a sort of time-travelling city anyway, so it can take that kind of yeah. treatment.
0: I did this a lot,
2: but it did not really matter. <laughs> <to shit>.
0: right. <laughs> because the movie is, in many ways, it's a love letter to London, to this idea of this cultural mel- melting pot where anybody can fit in. I thought it was like a dear John. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> um, no, well, I think London's. I mean,
2: I'm not from London, and a lot of Londoners aren't from London. And I think, in common with, I'm sure, many big cities, it's a place where you can come from almost anywhere around Britain or around the world, but very quickly become a Londoner, and it's it's a nice. Thing to be which is non-nation specific so Paddington feels like one of our great Londoners uh, but of course he's from the depths of the Amazon rainforest and, and um, I think that's what's rather lovely about it in this sense that uh, Clive James said something many years ago which stayed with me in his postcard from London, he did that series where he goes you walk down Oxford Street and everyone's a weirdo and that's what's nice about it that uh, if you're normal you stick out like a sore thumb, it's a kind of city full of eccentrics and um, that's what I sort of think London can be. And it's a rather lovely thing to capture on
0: film or try to. It's a, it's a, it's a lovely film. I mean, Hugh, did that appeal to you as well? That sort of sense of it being a love letter to a city? It'd be about, it being about more than just a bear that comes looking for a home?
1: Absolutely. And you think back to when Michael Bond first created the, the character, you know, only a decade or so after the... Uh, Well, a little bit more than that, after the evacuees were on the platforms of stations all over Britain with their gas masks and, and, as it were, their labels saying, please look after me. The Windrush immigrants settling in that part of London for the first time. And Mr Gruber himself talking about how he'd travelled across Europe to escape from troubles in his country. So you've got this sense of people being not in their natural environment, having to move, having to establish new routes and find new homes. And uh, and that's really the, the heart of what Paddington is about, is looking for acceptance.
0: Uh, We have time for one last clip now and then we'll take some questions from you guys. This is uh, quite a long one, but uh, at this point Paddington's been brought back to the Browns' home and he goes to the bathroom. Havoc ensues, not a spoiler. Let's take a look.
2: to us. In my room. He's a he. Tony's a he. Shut up. And Tony
1: would be more than welcome to a bunk up. Who's Tony? I'm warning you. Just some boy she's in love with.
2: No. Darling, really? That's it. When oh, can, oh. <laughs> can I meet
0: him? Can I meet him?
2: Darling? <clears throat> <gasps> My room.
1: That bear is not sleeping in anyone's room. He's going in the attic, and I want you all to lock your doors. I can't find anything about an English explorer in Peru. Well, of course you can't. Why not? He's making the whole thing up. It's just a sort of sob story your mother falls for.
2: A- a- hang on, that's not fair. It's so is fair, you've literally just brought home a random bear. Hey! It's so embarrassing. You would have done the same thing. Much more similar than you think. Oh.
1: What are you doing? A storm is upon us. Oh, you and your knees. I can tell you for a fact, Mrs. Bird, it is not going to rain indoors. Oh, no. There she blows. Mr. Brown, are
2: you
1: there? Yes, hello. Yes, that sounds fine. No, 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 no. no don't read me the terms and conditions. I really want to act on this as soon as possible. Now, don't put me on hold again. Paddington, what is going on in there? Uh,
2: nothing. Uh, I'm just having a spot of bother with the facilities.
1: Weather for the ducks. Oh. That was amazing.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hugh, you got seriously soaked there. From the looks of things.
1: Yes, and uh, as I was referring to earlier, that it took many weeks for the uh, water tank effect to, to be at tra- yeah. to, to the, to the maestro's satisfaction.
0: But it was quite epic <laughs> when it did happen. It is fantastic. Uh, if you've any questions, however, Paul and Hugh, please put your hands up. Yes, please, lady in front row. We have a microphone going here. Thank you.
2: Um, This is a question for Hugh Bonneville. Uh, What was the most challenging part about filming Paddington?
1: I I think, uh, well, I've made lots of, you know, comments in the past about how it was actually the bear himself because he was such a huge ego and a monstrous diva and wouldn't come out of his trailer until he'd had four jars. Uh, (laughs) But I think, in reality, it's the fact that he wasn't there. That was probably the hardest thing. But luckily, we ha- did have the luxury of, uh, which is rare in, in TV and film projects, of proper rehearsal. And uh, Paul was very... Uh, it was just a very exciting period because you know Paul is not overly precious about his material. He knows what he wants to achieve, but also invites collaboration from all the departments. And so we were able to improvise and, and fine tune and discover character relationships and all that sort of thing. Um, and so, while well, while the bear not being there was both both the biggest challenge and actually the most exciting thing to uh,
0: to have discovered in rehearsal. In fact, uh, Paul told me in a previous interview that uh, your work and your improvisation with Sally Hawkins really changed and affected the way that Mr. and Mrs. Brown behaved in the film. It did because we we we, sl- we went down a few blind
1: alleys because. Paul quite rightly had said it would be more interesting if there was a sense of fracture in their relationship even if they're not aware of it at the beginning of the story so that you you know there is a trajectory through the story and the the presence of the bear finally brings this family into a harmony that they perhaps weren't in at the beginning it makes it more interesting so we of course went down the sort of uh, um, uh, sort of Wars of the Roses route, and started doing these <laughs> vicious improvisations where we slagged each other off and all that. And Paul gets saying, "That's not quite what I meant. What I meant was, and you know, we went round and round the houses. Me and Sally going, but we are—we're arguing. We're having a fractured relationship. That's what you asked for. Um, and then actually, he gave us a really simple and sweet, uh, sweet idea. He said, "Watch." Um, Um, what's it called? Manhattan Murder Mystery, Mystery, the Woody Allen film. And uh, so Sally and I both went and watched that one weekend and came back and actually it's all about, you know, it's all about tone and, and, and that's what I think Paul's captured so wonderfully is tone and so... When you, when you see that movie, you see that this is a couple who, you know, perfectly adore each other, they're just on slightly different tracks they're not throwing axes at each other um, and that was a really good way in and so then we were able to find a way of, of working on the relationship that was, was endearing but, but sort of slightly off-kilter uh, and then ultimately that's
0: what Paddington uh, finds a way of uh, solving Fantastic, any questions now for Paul or Hugh? Or Paul and Hugh? Or Hugh and Paul? Yeah. Yeah, anything? Yes please, right here um, Paul, a lot of your previous work has been sort of much more surreal and adult orientated in terms of humour. So how was it to work on something much more sort of for the family? What, How did that differ for you?
2: Well, um, <coughs> I think I've, I've done quite a lot of talking animals in my <laughs> limited career. Um, but I made um, a TV show called The Mighty Boosh, which I guess is what you're referring to, which is very... Uh, is quite out there. Although not having seen Noel Fielding's follow-up show remotely as out there as it could have been. Uh, (laughs) They are two people with amazing imaginations. Um, It felt, I suppose because I was writing this and I never wrote that, it didn't feel like such a sort of gear change. And um, uh, it felt there was a lot of source material to work from and there were some really clear references in my head from very early on. Of you know Chaplin I suppose and, and some other people and it just felt like a really good fit in a way for the things I was interested in doing visually and, and the sort of humour that I like doing you know and um, uh, a lot of the people I've worked with I've worked with before are physical this is a, one of the people who helped with our the physical comedy side of thing, Cal McChrystal actually directed the first Mighty Boosh live show and the third one as well and taught me how to direct. So it's all sort of within a family. But I think a bear in a red hat and duffle coat is quite surreal enough for a mainstream family comedy. Some of the fictional children's characters have found places in theme parks, like Harry Potter at Universal Studios and at Leavesden. Can you see a role like that for Paddington? I... I, I <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. I'm not sure what it would be, but... Um, the bath going down the, the stairs? Bath, yeah, the bathroom That's like a yeah. flume, right, I yeah, guess? that's pretty much it. It sort of feels he belongs more in kind of Fortnum & Masons <laughs> than <laughs> kind
0: of <laughs> <laughs> an adventure park, but I'm sure it sounds fun, yeah. Hugh, if there were a Paddington log flume at a theme park, would you be available 12 times a day to be soaked by it? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah? I think it's a must for every young dad. <laughs> Has
2: anybody (laughs) approached you about taking Paddington into that kind of environment? Uh, not not me, but I, I wouldn't be the person to be approached. I'm about a hundred and five on the on the power list of uh, <laughs> of, of that character. character. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, will you do any more? Will there be Paddington Two, Paddington Three? Well, it's it's out today. Without wishing to sound too pluggy, um, in cinemas, and if enough people go, we would love to do more. I mean, the books there are. There's a, it's a long series. It's not like. He doesn't die at the end. See, that's <laughs> not a spoiler. Um, but uh, so, so there's, there's absolutely every opportunity. And, and we'd love to do it, but it really depends on how it goes. It's an expensive thing to get off the ground. And while Paddington's very familiar in Britain and some other countries around the world, it's, he's not an international phenomenon like Harry Potter was, where you go, unless they really mess this up, I think, I think they'll at least get to number two. So we'll have to see. And Hugh, would you be
0: uh, available for that if it happened? Everyone has a prize. <laughs> uh, any last questions? Uh, yes, please, right here at the very, very back. Two questions, both quite short. The scene where Paddington's sticking his head down the loo, for want of a better phrase, is that a spaniel's face that's in water because it looks so much like my uncle's dog? <laughs> it's, uh, we've actually broke into your uncle's
2: house and, uh um, no, it's, it's, it's the extraordinary CG work that Framestore have done. I think what's really nice about this film is it's got, the, like, Framestore do it all, who are just up the road in Wells Street, and they're genuinely world leaders in what they do. And um, it's just so good. No-one's done that. And you go, that shot is a world first groundbreaking extraordinary piece of CG but what's nice about it is it's not in kind of massive slow-mo bullet time with somebody kind of taking multiple hits to the face it's a bear (laughs) putting his head in the loo and I really like how sort of silly it is for something that is extraordinary work and it's sort of thrown away but hopefully it feels fun and funny and we get to do things that you couldn't have done with a character, even a couple of years ago. So it's. Am great I fun. right in thinking that that
1: was one of the first bits of the film to be finished,
2: rendered? Yeah, the bathroom was yeah. the first sequence we did. Yes. And
1: that shot, when I, that was the first clip I saw in the in the process, and uh, it, that I find it astonishing. I still do, just seeing it just then. It's so real and does ex- look exactly like your uncle's
2: dog. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things. If you watch it on a loop, like when we're watching, like trying to do all these shots, because they're all, it's sort of it it breaks my heart slightly there's a sort of sense that because this stuff is done in computers it's somehow done by magic and you know computers aren't elves they kind of require operators and that shot uh the shot the first one with the toothbrushes where he's doing that just to get all of the performance and and everything right because it's quite a long shot and every single eyebrow raise and little look to the side and they're all really important. I think that's version 459, that shot. They are every single day looking at new versions and new changes. How does the fur move? How does the fur move underwater? Does it float or is it a bit faster? Are there bubbles coming out of his mouth or just his nose? If they come out of his nose, do they cover the eyes. Can you see the eyes? Should the eyes be bloodshot? Should we be pulling back? Do you get enough of a sense of him pulling back? And each of those takes 24 hours to answer because trying a thing out, you know, it's not like with an actor, with Hugh, we can rehearse a scene 50 times in an hour. That's 50 days in visual effects. And it's so labor intensive and so lovingly crafted. And I just want to sort of just say that (laughs) because Framestore are amazing and there's so much love that's gone into it. It's, uh, It's just bafflingly brilliant. But if you watch it on a loop, you start going, what amazing visual effects. And you watch it in a sequence, hopefully, and you're mm. six years old or 66 years old, you're just laughing because Paddington put his head in the toilet.
0: And the, uh, the second part of the question was? Uh, before I go on, i just say you did really well making it look like my uncle's house when he opened <laughs> the door and all the water flooded out. It's quite a familiar setting. Uh, <laughs> but the second question was, where can I pick up one of those dashing red hats before it ends up in Shoreditch High Street? M- my wife makes those
2: hats. She's a hat maker. Best question of all time. <laughs> oh, my plant. goodness. He her, uh, <laughs> Do I know you? She is, um, uh, she is uh, an amazing hat maker. Uh, her company is called Moody and Farrell. She made the most beautiful hat, made about 20 of them for the various reasons that we needed, and I'm sure they're available at a very reasonable price in time for Christmas. <laughs>
0: Uh, Hugh do you have anything to, anything to plug any marmalade lines you've got coming out uh, no to... <laughs> only that I
2: can endorse
1: uh, the quality of uh, <laughs> Eloise's work because she fixed my trilby so uh... <laughs> no fabulous
0: fantastic That's <laughs> a lovely note on which and end uh, Paddington's out today I urge you strongly to go and see it it's a beautiful beautiful film thank you so much Paul King Hugh Boniface. thank you, thank you.